Automakers have many options when it comes to the kinds of propulsion systems to use in their vehicles. On this week's show, Dan Nicholson, the Vice President of Global Propulsion Systems at General Motors, discusses the company's strategy on where and when to use each one. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. When it comes to propulsion systems in the automotive industry, there's a lot going on here right now. Whether you're talking about internal combustion engines, hybrid vehicles, plug-ins, battery electrics, fuel cells, you name it. And boy, do we have somebody who can talk about that today. Dan Nicholson is our special guest. He's the vice president of global propulsion systems, no longer powertrain, propulsion systems at General Motors. And Dan, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks. It's great to be back. Also joining us today are Gary Witzenberg, a freelance automotive journalist that we've known forever, and Lindsey Brook from Automotive Engineering, the publication from the SAE. Great having the both of you guys here, too. Good to be here, John. Great to be here. Well, Dan, let's talk about propulsion systems. And, and let's start out with the internal combustion engine. There's so much controversy about it right now. Some people are predicting it's going to go away in the next 10 or 20 years. Some countries, like China, are even talking about banning the internal combustion mm-hmm. engine. How do you see it? How long is it going to be around? Well, we don't know how long it's going to be around, but um, on our road to zero emissions, we know it's going to be a marathon and not a sprint, and we need to really be prepared for everything. So I like to talk about the peaceful coexistence of internal combustion engines and electrification, because there's no reason they can't, you know, all get along and coexist together. So we're really invested in electrification like never before, full of battery electric vehicles and fuel cells, but we're also fully invested in the development of world-class internal combustion engines like never before, because that's what our customers expect. They expect the engines to get better and better every time they buy a new vehicle, and that's really what we're trying to deliver. So aside from electrification, do you mm-hmm. see just pure internal combustion engine, more improvements that can be made there? Well, definitely. For example, we're, we're introducing in the new Chevrolet Silverado and GMC Sierra uh, a 2.7-liter turbocharged engine with the tri-power technology. So this is a camshaft which has three uh, distinct positions, you know, high power, high lift, Uh, It has low lift and what I like to call no lift. Um, So that's active fuel management implemented uh, on a a four-cylinder engine. So that's a super great technology. It's world-class. We talked about it at the Vienna Motorum Symposium, uh, you know, this year, and it's uh, a new technology that we're bringing. That's just one example. So we also have dynamic fuel management on the V8 engines because several of our customers still want V8 engines. And so we're running the engine on anywhere from zero to eight cylinders, depending on the demanded load. And that's a world-class technology that we've developed for our customers. Dan, a while ago, um, there was a lot of discussion about camless engines, and you Mm -hmm. mentioned the sophistication of the cam valve gear in these new engines that GM has. Uh, But there were impediments to that. Is that a technology that's been backburnered? 
What's what's great about the innovation that's happening is new ideas spawn other kinds of innovation. So the idea and the ideal of a camless engine has always kind of been out there. Um, you know, power management is an issue, controls are an issue, there's several issues. So I'm not saying it'll never happen, but we've got, been able to get, let's say, 90% of the benefit at a much lower cost. And that's kind of the way uh, engine development and propulsion development happens. You know, there's lots of good ideas about there which spawn other good ideas, and the customers are the winners. You know, it wasn't long ago that, uh, I don't know if you've heard much of this lately, but it wasn't too many years ago that people were saying, if it's cam and block, in other words, if it has push rods, mm -hmm. it's old tech. And you've done so much with cam and block. I mean, I think it seems to me if everything since the beginning of time had been overhead cam with all the valve gear on top, and then somebody came along and said, hey, I have an idea, let's just have one cam and bury it in the block, Yep. And the engine will be physically smaller and lighter and cheaper and easier to build and easier to service. Yep. What a great breakthrough. And yet, yep. and, and you have done amazing things with the cam still in the block and with the push rods. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, for sure. Thank you very much. It, um, yep. Honestly, it's been 20 years or more when people made those predictions, and we keep proving them to be okay. not true. So uh, we're very proud of our small block set of V8 engines. They've done very well for the company and continue to be benchmarked for customers. So we've just given it a new lease on life with dynamic fuel management, which is coming out in not only our 5.3 liter, but the 6.2 liter versions of the engine. And they're a great technology for improving fuel economy um, and still giving customers all the power, torque, and other attributes that they want. And small block, you know, has everything's, Changed, but uh, you know the basic design and the compactive compactness of it that Ed Cole invented uh, is still uh, around today. So five or ten years ago, would you have bet that one day you'd see in a full-size Silverado a turbocharged four-cylinder engine that you've got coming? Um, no, ten years ago, probably not. But five years, five years ago, um, yes. It was on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we think you know we're we're. Silverado is all about choice. You know, the vehicles are really coming out with more, let's say, uh, unique models for customers than ever before. And we also have more unique propulsion system choices than ever before. So in addition to really great V8 engines and the 2.7 liter turbo, which we think is is great, uh, I think the truck market is is really ripe for, you know, downsized turbocharging. I think that's um, no longer an experiment. Um, as well as we've got, of course, the three-liter inline uh, diesel engine coming, which is really going to, I think, light up the uh, light-duty diesel segment, and that's going to be uh, really great. So we're all, we're all about more choices for customers and uniquely matching uh, powertrains and those choices to, to what customers want. And where is development of that three-liter diesel at this point? It's doing really great. Have no, you know, new announcement we say it's coming soon and it's coming soon um, you know others are out there in the market so we're kind of uh, chomping at the bit to get that into the marketplace and really show the customers what we can do so it's on track and it's coming right along Dan last time you were on the show you raised a fascinating topic of calling for across the board high octane fuel in the United States yes in fact I think you were talking about one grade yes just have no more regular premium medium, just one grade. Where's that stand right now? Because if you could get that higher octane, you could make your engines even more efficient. Yeah, well, um, US Car, it's not just me, it's US Car in partnership, uh, believes that high octane fuel is the best way, most cost-effective way
way to get fuel economy improvements to customers. So uh, representing U.S. Car, I, along with several others, testified in April uh, before a subcommittee, the Energy and Commerce Committee at the House, and we really got, let's say, our day in front of the legislation to really make our case. It was quite effective. We think in the fall there will be some draft legislation coming. So we've really advanced that agenda. We still think it's a great idea. There's no reason why Americans shouldn't have uh, as good a fuel as Europeans enjoy on a daily basis, and we're really um, working hard on that, uh, you know, with our customers in mind. Again, if we're going to do, you know, lower CO2 and improve fuel economy, we ought to do it in the most cost-effective way. When I tell people about this, though, they say, oh, I don't want to have to pay for premium prices. What might this do to the price of fuel? Well, we've done sophisticated financial modeling along with, uh, you know, the oil industry and some others, and we believe this will be very cost-effective with the refinery footprint. So we know this can't come on the backs of customers, and everybody looks at premium fuel pricing today and say, oh, I don't want to pay that much. We know, but we think, we, we know the fuel economy improvement that we'll get should be lower than uh, the cost in a competitive market. So if we really move to that fuel, um, there'll be a lot of competition and the prices will be uh, mitigated. Really, you know, there haven't been major advancements in fuel since removal of lead. Um, that was quite some years ago. Um, uh, and we think it's really time to revisit that. So would this octane be, say, 95 RON across yeah, the board? 90, or? 95 RON is the current proposal that we have on the table. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could, how many points of compression ratio would, would that be worth across your portfolio? Do you yeah, think? it depends on the kind of engine, you know. Um, uh, you know, one to two compression ratio, which is a big know, quite a b- big, it is a yeah. big deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dan, we know that um, General Motors is going, has been going to mixed materials and bodies mm-hmm. for pickup yep. trucks and, and cars, but not yet that we know of going to the full aluminum body that Ford has, which saves several hundred pounds and, mm-hmm. you know, therefore efficiency and more payload and so on. Is powertrain or propulsion system the answer to that competitively? If you can, if, if you don't take more weight out of the vehicle, then you can. Yeah. Uh, You you make it up with the four-cylinder turbo and things like that? Yeah, well, we're taking a very holistic approach. Um, Again, we're looking at, just talking about the body, a mixed metal strategy, which is let's put the right materials in the right place. And we've enabled that with breakthroughs in welding technology and innovation so we can weld dissimilar materials together that was never, ever able to be done before with laser welding and some other things. So we think a one-size-fits-all, you know, all aluminum isn't really the right answer for bodies. And so we're getting those efficiencies, you know, in other ways. And then I'd like to think that, uh, you know, at Global Propulsion Systems, we're doing, let's say, more than our fair share of bringing the fuel economy to the table, um, which, which also enables that. So we're looking at it very holistically. We know we've got to deliver for customers, and we've got to do it in the most cost-effective way. What's GM's strategy on 48-volt? We've seen FCA bring in multiple 48-volt systems in four-cylinder V6 and V8 engines, and yep. we're told that Europe is going to go kind of gangbusters on this. What, how does GM feel about 48-volt systems? Yeah, we, we understand that technology, and we're introducing it in various markets around the globe where it makes sense. Um, we think there are more cost-effective solutions for most 
uh, vehicle segments. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing other things first instead of that. For example, the tri-power technology that I talked about earlier really delivers uh, great fuel economy. And we think we can do that on a total system cost basis more cost effectively than um, adding 48 volt. So we're, again, very focused on delivering fuel economy for customers and doing it in the highest value, most effective way. Mm. Whether that's fuel or 48 volt or something else. You also work on battery electric yes. propulsion systems. Uh, every automaker right now loses lots of money on every electric car that they sell. When do you think that you can get the cost down to the point where it's at least break even or even maybe make a profit on this? Yeah, thanks. We're working very hard on that. We, you know, consider ourselves, a, you know, certainly amongst the leaders in electric vehicle technology. The Chevrolet Bolt, we're very proud of, and it's doing, you know, quite well in the marketplace. Customers seem really pleased about it, and it's a pleasure to drive. It's not just an electric vehicle. It's a great driving vehicle um, that is also electric. So... Um, we're certainly working on the cost side. Battery costs is what you read about in the press, and it is the big deal. But we're also working all elements of cost. You know, when you open the hood on an electric vehicle, you see a lot of high-voltage orange cables, uh, and that's a lot of copper and a lot of expense. So we're finding ways to integrate things um, to save money as well and also figuring out how to make drive units more efficient in a cost-effective manner. So we're working on kind of everything in the propulsion system. But the big story still remains the battery, how to integrate the battery, and then the costs of the cells. Uh, and we're working with suppliers on that. So we're working on the cost side, but I also have to say... Um, we're working on value creation for customers. So how do we market electric vehicles in different ways? Because they have more different kind of value propositions for customers because they don't have to go to the refilling station. And so for most, most customers, that's something that they would uh, really appreciate. We're also, you know, as you know, um, working on autonomous vehicles that are electric. And so in an autonomous vehicle um, where you have a car sharing service, the ability to pay or willingness to pay, you know, for the owner of the service uh, may be a little bit higher than a typical customer. So we're really looking for the right segments for electric vehicles and working on the value creation and the marketing piece of it, as well as, as low cost. And then where do you think, when do you think that uh, battery electrics will match the, the manufacturing cost of an internal combustion engine? The talk out there is 2025, but that's yeah. not from automakers it's, saying that. It's, it's, really, it's really hard to predict when. My job and my main thrust is to make sure General Motors is there first. And that is what we're really focused on, making sure we've got um, the best designs, the lowest cost structure, and the most integrated approach. So when we get the profit, we're the ones that are there first. Do you think 2025 is a realistic time frame? I, I don't think it's unrealistic. Okay. How about that? Yep. Speaking of both, yeah. uh, you guys really came out with something different in working with LG in yeah. terms of giving them so much subsystem kind of development uh, mm -hmm. control in that car. Do you expect that to continue, Dan, as you guys branch out into more electrified vehicles? What I expect to continue is that uh, partnership in innovation is really, really important because all the good ideas can't reside in any one company, whether it's General Motors or LG or any other company that you'd like to name. So I see at this time in the industry more collaboration than ever, and I think it's great. And we want to be the kind of company that 
um, you know, suppliers, um, universities, and others really want to collaborate with so that we're the partner of choice in innovation. We think we've really done something spectacular with LG, and we're very proud of the collaboration that we've got with them, and we're, you know, continuing to move that forward. Um, so it's not so much about partition. Uh, partitioning parts and who's responsible for what. It's really more about innovation and how do we get everybody's good ideas on the table on what they have expertise in so that we can bring great products to market for the customers. Hmm. Can we talk about extended range EVs yeah. for a minute? I'm a big fan of the Volt. Yes. First generation good, second generation much better. Yep. Where you can run all day or all week or all month without ever burning gas, but it's there if you need it. The engine yep. starts up, runs the generator, keeps you going. But it adds cost and complexity. Yeah. And is there a future alongside, or I should say in between, full electric and internal combustion for extended range, maybe in a variety of different vehicles and things like that? Yeah. The um, First of all, I love the Chevrolet Volt and feel exactly the same as you do. It's really great product. Um, I think extended range is going to exist um, as the market evolves. I mean, what's what, electrification and electric vehicles are going to be different in different vehicle segments and different in different countries around the world. So it's really hard to predict exactly how um, consumers are going to respond because it matters on infrastructure, for example, what's the recharging situation, et cetera, et cetera. For example, so in Norway, do I think extended ranges will make sense? Not really, because they're putting a lot into infrastructure. They're providing incentives for full electric vehicles. So probably there's not a market there for extended range. But in other markets, I can imagine where the infrastructure is not so good. Customers will get the benefit, but they'll be charging at home, and they'll want a kind of insurance policy with the gasoline. So for them, it might make a lot of sense. Um, so it's really going to play out. Uh, and I expect during this time of peaceful coexistence, back to that, you're going to see, consumers are going to see a broader range of technical solutions than ever before. It won't be just one thing. So It'll I think what I just heard is that extended range will keep going. Yeah. And maybe in some different vehicles than just one small car. Yeah. and, and it, yeah. But it depends which country that you live in and what segments. Yeah. But GM is not, that's not going away from your portfolio anytime soon. We think it's a great technology, and we plan it into the future. Well, we may as well talk about fuel cells as yeah. well to, to complete <laughs> yeah. the list here. You're very bullish on them. Certainly yeah. General Motors is. Some of the Asian companies, too, automakers, yep. Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, for example. Nobody else seems to be all that interested. Where do you stand with your collaboration with Honda right now? Yeah. And uh, how bright is the future for, high, or for fuel cells? Yeah, it's a great technology. I think the future is very bright. And our partnership and, you know, with, with Honda has grown since the last time that we talked. You know, we now have a manufacturing joint venture uh, with a plant in Brownstown, Michigan. So we're um, on the road to uh, producing those. Um, again, it really depends which country that you're in and which vehicle segment. Where fuel cells are great is where you have the advantage of fast refueling, like customers are used to. You can put a lot of energy on board in, you know, three minutes. And it's also really good for extended, long-range, you know, kinds of solutions. So, you know, imagine, you know, Class 8 trucks and things that could really, that are, need to be zero emissions, can really benefit from that technology where, you know, a Class 8 truck that has to carry lots of batteries and lots of load, that's a very heavy and weighty proposition. So we think the right applications are where it makes sense. Fuel cells tend to be um, where you need a lot of energy on board and you have heavy duty cycles. So quite honestly, a C-segment car may not be the right 
kind of vehicle for um, a fuel cell. It's not to disparage anybody's products that are out there. I'm just saying when you get to vehicles, you know, those may be you know, pure battery electric uh, more than fuel cell depending on where you live. So it's got a bright future. Um, we're looking to commercialize it for the places where it makes a lot of sense, and that's how we're going to go forward. And GM probably has more IP in fuel cells. I mean, all of us have covered this since yeah. mm -hmm. the 1990s, maybe mm -hmm. even before then. Um, and you've got, a, you've got a venture with the Army Tardec with vehicle development mm -hmm. over there, too. Yep. Uh, it, it, there was one point where GM was even thinking of home home fuel cells, you know, yep. and energy systems. So could this be a separate business for GM at some point? Yeah, we're looking at that. I think it makes um, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. now, I'm not endorsing necessarily the home power generator, but right. that's one idea amongst uh, many because people are looking for reliable power. Mm -hmm. The Army, you can imagine, um, values um, quietness. Uh, so stealth. electric drive and stealth is really, really important. And also, you know, Fuel cells make water as a byproduct, and if you happen to be in the middle of the desert, you might consider that a benefit. So you can make electricity, you make water, and uh, it's quiet. So we're looking for the applications where those are highly valued, um, and you're willing to pay you know, a premium over that, over, can, can say, uh, a diesel engine, hmm. or a diesel engine and a generator. If we get back to these truck engines for a yeah. minute. I think we're going to drive them in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. We haven't yet, to yep. my knowledge. And are we going to find that they're not only competitive with whatever else is out there with gas engines in terms of torque and cargo mm -hmm. and, and power, but also, I don't think you've announced the numbers yet, are the, is the real world and the EPA fuel economy going to be competitive or better? Yeah, the, um, we, we announced the fuel economy numbers for the V8. I don't have them uh, at hand right now, so we're set on that. Um, we've got some more announcements coming. Um, we did have some very early press events, and I'm proud to say that we did kind of a blind taste test, if you will, of the 2.7-liter turbo, and we compared that to today's on the, the current pickup truck, the base engine. And we let people drive them uh, and, and see what they thought, and everybody said, wow, this is way, way better and what do you think it is, and not one of the press experts said, oh, that's a turbocharged four-cylinder engine, yeah. of course. Some said, well, it might be turbocharged, must be a six-cylinder somehow. So that was a great, really, surprise event. So um, the early indications are um, it's really delivering on customer attributes, and we're super excited to get even more press exposure, and we think they're going to love it, and we think our customers are going to love so compared it. Compared to the competition in terms of fuel economy as well? Yeah. For example, aluminum Fords? It, it'll, yeah. we, we know the competition that's out there. Uh, it won't be the only 2.7-liter turbocharged truck uh, on the market, and it's inevitable that things will get um, compared. But um, actually, the way we're going to market, the 2.7-liter is available um, on, you know, more base uh, models. That's, that's kind of uh, more, uh, you know, entry the way it's coming. So uh, the positioning is, is going to be unique um, uh, in the market. So. Dan, to change gears a little mm -hmm. bit, staying in propulsion, yeah. uh, GM is coming back with continuously variable transmission. Yes. Uh, I thought maybe you guys had abandoned this, and I know the industry struggled with yep. torque inputs and reliability and uh, chain drive versus belt drive and these kind of things. Why, you know, you've worked your way up to eight speed, nine speed, 10 yep. speed. Why go back to a CVT? Yeah, back to, well, so we have the Chevrolet Malibu debuting this summer with the CVT, and it's really great, and we think customers are going to love it. Again, we've got a, 
a very broad portfolio, and we're really trying to make the right solutions for the right customers. So if you look at um, rear-wheel drive applications, we have eight speeds and 10 speeds, uh, and those are great. Um, and we think customers are, well, we know customers love our 10-speed, uh, and the eight-speed is doing quite well as well. On front-wheel drive, um, we've, we're at nine-speed transmissions, um, and those are for some of the, let's say, larger vehicles and SUVs and a lot of those kinds of uh, architectures. We think in the passenger car space, space so slightly you know, mid-sized cars, um, CVTs still make some sense. Um, and that's where we're going to put them. So, is there a packaging advantage in a transverse application? Yeah, a little bit packaging, um, but it's it's all kind of down to efficiency. But it matters what size engine that you have. Hmm. So, the more powerful engine that you have, even front wheel drive, um, it's you know less likely to be a CVT. Hmm. So, in the let's say normal power ranges, we're coupled to a 1.5 liter turbo, which is great for a mid-sized car. Uh, that's working quite well with a CVT. Is the cost of that CVT downwards now competitive with a conventional automatic? And well, also, will there be some fixed ratios that you can play with to kind of simulate a conventional please, automatic? Please, please, <laughs> Yes. Well, we, we've, so on the last question, we've yeah. studied very carefully what customers love about CVTs and the things they don't love. We think we've built in and baked in all the things that they loved. So when you are at 100% pedal, you know, for example, we will have, um, you know, simulated shifting so that you're not, mm -hmm. you know, sitting at one, um, you know, RPM. Um, at lower loads, that's not necessary because you can't, you know, don't really perceive what's going on um, all the time. So when you drive it, we think we're, you're going to love it. Um, in terms of cost parity, you know, if you compare it to an automatic step gear four speed, um, it's going to cost a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But again, we're doing value proposition for customers. And um, when you have to start going to more and more technology, that's where the CVT becomes very um, cost effective. So we're looking at the fuel economy improvements, the overall cost of the product, and we think there's a really sweet um, niche in there where CVTs can play. In my experience, CVTs deliver great real-world economy. Yep. They, they can easily beat the EPA label. Hey, we're getting down right to the end here, but sticking with transmissions for a yeah. moment, at the very beginning of the show, you talked about how much more electrification we're going to see yeah. conventional uh, engines. Will that reduce the number of gears that we need? Could you use the electrification to help launch the vehicle and instead of a nine or 10 speed, maybe take a few gears out and save yeah. some money that Two way? Two speed power glides coming yeah. out. Yeah, it could be. Well, well we're, um, you know, part, part of our, what we do at Propulsion Systems is to really look at the whole system. So we're not just making engines and transmissions and, you know, bolting them together. Uh, we're really systems focused. So we're looking at the whole thing. And certainly as we add electrification, then you look at, okay, what, what costs are no longer necessary. So that's um, naturally going to happen. I'm not sure you'll see that happen as much in the, um, uh, in the number of gears. Um, and, and by the way, 10 is you know, kind of the maximum number. So we think nines and 10 speeds are great. And from there we go right to infinity with CVTs. And <laughs> yeah. so I don't think, you know, at least uh, I don't see on the horizon 11 speeds, 12 speeds, you know, I don't think that's going to continue. Um, there could be some reduction, um, but we're, we're kind of set where we are. With that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Yeah. Dan Nicholson, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks really interesting talking to you. And Gary Witzenberg and Lindsey Brook, thank you two guys, too. It's thanks, been Jay. very interesting. And, of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner.
The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles.